Father, again, we come to you now in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for the opportunity to be here, and I just pray for the presence and power of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen. I want to start out some verses, Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for in that for in that he is entered into his rest, he has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. You know, I recently had a discussion with someone, a friend of mine, who was getting ready to leave the Adventist church. And as I said in one of my meetings yesterday, you know, when I first joined the church 30 years ago, you, you always hear this thing, nobody ever leaves the church over doctrine, they leave over, you know, personal issues. Well, I said it's a myth. People do leave the church over doctrine. I mean, it's, it's I don't know whether it's more now, than it used to be or whether because you got the internet and you got more communication, you know, but I, you know, people are leaving over doctrine. Now, what was surprising though, in this case, his struggle wasn't over the usual stuff that people would leave over. You know, it wasn't over 1844 and the judgment, which if you remember, Many years ago, there was the big hoopla over that. I don't think there's such a hoopla over that now because I think you've got a whole group growing up that doesn't care about it one way or another, which I don't think is so good, but that's, that's another sermon. It wasn't over Ellen White, which is a common one. It wasn't over prophecy. It was surprising. You would know the name if I told you the guy, but, and it's a happy ending. He's solid as a rock now. But it was a little scary there for a while. I had pretty much assumed he was a lost, he was gone. And I just stayed in touch with him to be friends with him. And, uh, but anyway, but what he was going to leave over was over the Sabbath. Surprisingly enough, he was going to leave over the Sabbath. And in recent years, there has been a movement of those who were once part of us who have broken away, and before long they do abandon the Sabbath. I think there's a number of reasons that they want to get rid of it. I think there's a number of reasons, but I think mostly because they want to be part of the mainstream evangelical movement. You want to be part of the mainstream or whatever, and keep being a Sabbath keeper, you know, you're not going to fit in. And I, I think of a number of churches in the area where I live, there was an Adventist pastor named Richard Fredericks. He broke away. I, I gave him, I figured, when he first broke away, he told, I, he told the people the Sabbath is sacrosanct. Never going to change. I predicted in four years he would be a Sunday keeper. I was wrong. In about two years, he went over to Sunday keeping. There's Clay Peck, Colorado. I used to know Clay. He's broke away, Sunday keeping church. Mark Martin in Arizona broke away, Sunday keeping church. Dale Ratzlaff, Arizona, broke away, Sunday keeping church. Now, usually other things would ever drive them away, okay? But they all eventually, they come and they hit the Sabbath as well, and before long they throw out the Sabbath. And it's not just ex-Adventists as well who deal with some of this stuff. It's um, many evangelicals have been writing against the Seventh-day Sabbath as well. And they've been doing it for years. But in recent years, I've noticed that it's more than the, it's much more sophisticated. The argument against the Sabbath. It's much more than the usual, Jesus changed the Sabbath to Sunday. Or Paul changed the Sabbath to Sunday or we don't need to keep the Ten Commandments anymore. No, they have other arguments against it, a bit more sophisticated. And the gist of the argument, as I understand it, 
The gist of their argument, as I understand it, because it's never quite totally made a whole lot of sense to me, but the argument goes like this. Our true rest is found in Jesus and his completed work for us because our rest has been fulfilled in Christ. The seventh-day Sabbath, a symbol of the old covenant, has been superseded and thus abolished, and it is now a legalistic work that robs us of the new rest that Christ offers us in the new covenant doctrine of grace. Okay, now that's my best understanding without trying to caricature it. I think most of them who would, would say, yeah, that pretty much explains their positions. That's essentially the argument. As I said, it's a lot more sophisticated than Jesus changed the Sabbath to Sunday or Paul changed the Sabbath to Sunday, which, you know, you don't they, they know better than that, and certainly the ex-Adventists know better than that. Okay, so the argument has been that the Sabbath has been superseded by Jesus and our rest in him and what he has done, you know, done for us. More and more, even among evangelicals, this is the argument that's being heard. So I think even some of the evangelicals are catching on. They're catching on and saying, you know, this, you know, because I mean, you read the Bible, where does Jesus change the Sabbath to Sunday? I mean, where does Jesus, you really, you read the Gospels, Jesus is spending his whole time teaching people how to keep the Sabbath. You know, not, you know, nowhere changing it, you know, changing the day. So, you know, the, the, the non-Adventists are doing it as well. D.A. Carson is a well-known evangelical writer. He edited a whole book that argued essentially against the Sabbath. He argued against the Sabbath, claiming that Sunday, quote, is a new day of worship that was chosen to commemorate the unique salvation historical event of the death and resurrection of Christ. Okay, I mean, that sounds pretty sophisticated. And again, as I said, it's better than Jesus changed the Sabbath to Sunday. But let me read it again. That Sunday is, quote, a new day of worship that was chosen to commemorate the unique salvation historical event of the death and resurrection of Christ. Now, right off the bat, there are a couple of big problems with this, as we know, just to review. I mean, the Sabbath as Old Covenant, you know, runs into a problem because, as we all know, the Sabbath existed before there was a covenant. You know, before there, at least there was a covenant with man. You've got the eternal covenant between God and, you know, and, 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 the, and the Son. But in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, thus the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, again, this is pre-fall, pre-sin. On the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all the work which he created and made. So again, just for starters, right off the bat, you know, to tie the, the Sabbath exclusively to the Jews, exclusively to the Old Covenant, is, you know, is, to, is not quite right when it existed prior to the Jews when it existed prior to any of God's covenants with people. And also you got the university of the Sabbath scene here. It's right here at the start of the human race, right before there were any religious or political divisions. It was right there at the beginning along with marriage, which was as universal at the Sabbath as the Sabbath. I mean, you see the universality of here. There are some Jews who do understand that, who do understand that the Sabbath really was you made for all people. Now, there, in some traditional Judaism, they think it's blasphemy for non-Jews to keep the Sabbath. But others, you know, understand Martin Buber, uh, a Jewish scholar, once wrote about the universality of the Sabbath. So anyway, but the bottom line is, is we all know this, nothing really new here, you've got the Sabbath instituted before 
the old covenant before the fall, before sin, before anything. It's there. It's just, it's about as far back as you can get. It's about as fundamental as you can get. It's God as the creator, pointing to God as the creator. I mean, it's, you know, a German philosopher once asked a question, why is there something instead of nothing? I mean, that's about as fundamental of a question as you could ask. Why is there something instead of nothing? Well, there's something instead of nothing because God created it. And the Sabbath stands as this universal, you know, sign embedded. I mean, it's just as embedded as far back in creation as you can go. I mean, to almost get behind the Sabbath is to get to God himself because he is the creator. And then you've got the Sabbath. Okay, so you got that there. So I think right off the bat, that kind of denudes that argument of, of much power. And then there's the need to chisel out the fourth commandment from the Decalogue while somehow leaving all the others in place. I mean, I'm sure we've all had this experience where you talk about the Sabbath and they say, well, you know, we don't need to keep the Ten Commandments anymore. We don't need to. And then, of course, you ask them a few questions and you realize... They don't really believe that, you know, and, and so on and so forth. Somehow all the others are firmly in place, but this one, the one which just happened to exist before sin, the only one is the only one that has been taken out or replaced by Sunday. I mean, that's what has to happen. All the other nine remain. All the other nine remain, but somehow this one commandment is pulled out, so it's really just nine commandments, you know, and then they got Sunday, which, you know, somehow or another they weave in there. Now, it's funny, recently, they've had some of these Ten Commandments days in America. Ten Commandment days in America. And I've often thought, why are these people pushing for the Ten Commandments when they don't really believe in all ten? You know, why promote a law contain, containing a fundamental precept that has long been nullified? You know, the, 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 um, why instead of pushing for the Ten Commandments, so don't they advocate for the public posting of the other nine and the Fourth Commandment as being replaced, as Carson said, as, quote, the new day of worship that was chosen to commemorate the unique salvation historical event in death and resurrection of Jesus. See what I'm saying? Let's have uh, nine commandments, and then we'll have the, this one day recommend, you know, commending the... Uh, New day of worship that has been chosen to the unique on and on and on. Because they don't do that. They'll just talk about the Ten Commandments. As I said, these are basic problems that most of us know with the Sabbath. But there's another one. Another one that's just as big that I only thought about recently as I was talking to this guy who was on the edge of leaving. I mean, as I said, I thought for sure he was gone. I thought, well, I'm just going to try to keep communication open with him. But we go, let's go read the fourth commandment, Exodus 20, 8 through 12. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days out shall labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou not, shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, nor the cattle within thy gates, or the stranger within thy gates. Then it ties it right in, for in six days the Lord made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that in it is. And the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Okay, we all know this. We're Adventists. We know this very well. Now, what's kind of ironic here, and we'll get to that, is what does this tell us to do? It tells us not to. To work. It tells us, in a sense, to chill out. It tells us to rest. We, our sons, our daughters, our servants, our animals, even the stranger among us. It's all about rest. The Sabbath is about resting. It's about not working, about not striving, whatever. Now, here's the point. Here's the point that's so incredibly simple. It's so incredibly simple, and yet, I, I, don't, I don't know why I never thought of it before. You know, here is the one commandment. It's the one commandment that's devoted to rest. 
the one commandment that expresses rest, the one commandment that gives us a special opportunity to rest. How is it that the one commandment that's all about rest has suddenly been turned into the new covenant universal symbol of salvation by works? Can you see the point? Can you see the point? The one commandment that it's all of, that by its nature is all about rest is the one commandment that is sudden. When you keep it, you're suddenly accused of trying to work your way to heaven. Can you see the irony there? The irony, the one command, I mean, they, you know, the, you've all heard it. You're being legalistic. You're trying to earn your way to heaven and on and on. You're trying to work your way to heaven by key. And, and again, the irony, the one commandment that's all about rest is the one commandment that has suddenly become the metaphor for salvation by works. I mean, what, tell me, what is wrong with this picture here? I mean, far from being a symbol of works, the Sabbath is the Bible's overarching symbol of the rest that God's people have always had in Him. It's a symbol of the rest that we have in Him. From the pre-fall world of Adam, and Adam and Eve's Eden, to the new covenant rest that God's followers have in Christ's work of redemption, the, the Sabbath is a real-time manifestation of the rest that we do have in Him. Jesus says, Come unto me, all that you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, for you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He will give us that rest, and that rest finds its expression, its expression in the keeping of the fourth commandment. See, anyone can say, here's the thing, I said, anyone can say that they're resting in, that they're, they're resting in Christ. Anyone can say that they are, they, are, they are resting in Christ's works for them that and that they're saved by grace and that Christ's work has saved them. But the keeping of the Sabbath is a visible expression. It's a visible expression of the rest that we have in Christ. A living parable of what it means to be covered by grace. A weekly rest from secular work stands as a symbol of our rest in the work that Jesus has done for us. Can you see the point here? As I said, anyone, I remember saying to my friend, I'll never forget the moment, I'll never forget the moment when I was with this guy and we were talking and I was pretty sure at that point he was a lot, he, we were going to lose him. Because again, he was caught up into this new covenant, rest in Jesus, new covenant grace, our rest is in him, our Sabbath rest is in him. And I remember I said to him, I said, I said, but yeah, but the Sabbath is how I weakly express, I weakly express the rest that I have in Jesus by being able to specifically rest on the Sabbath day. And I hadn't even thought about it. I just said it. And his eyes lit up. And he said, wow, I like that. I never thought of that. And, you know, and I don't know, and I think that moment began where slowly but surely, and then about a few weeks later he called me, he says, you know, I've been studying this and I think I'm coming down on your side and now he's a teacher at one of our colleges and he's, he's doing great. If anything, he's become quite quite conservative, and he's always one extreme or the other. I said, come on, you know, balance out a little here, you know, balance out a little here, you know, and so on. But the point is, it is the symbol of our rest in what Jesus has done for us. Again, anybody can say they're resting in Christ, but the Sabbath really gives you an opportunity to truly rest, to show to show that we're not just saying we believe in the rest, we trust in Christ enough and what He's done that we can take one-seventh of our lives and rest in the Lord. For he that entered into his rest has also ceased from his own works 
as God did from his. Hebrews 4, 9 and 10. I believe that's a direct reference to the creation, to rest, to our resting in God. And if that's not pointing to the Sabbath of creation, what is? See, our, be our obedience to the Sabbath commandment is a way of saying, hey, we're so sure of our salvation in Jesus. We're so firm and secure in what Christ has done for us that we can, in a special way, rest from our works because we know what Christ has accomplished, because we know what Christ has accomplished for us through his death and resurrection. See, we can turn the tables on that argument. We can turn the tables on that argument and say, you, could, you say you're resting in Christ. We have a visible expression and manifestation of the rest. And we get to enjoy it every week in the Sabbath commandment. The Sabbath is a very real, very expressive, very visible expression and manifestation of the rest that we have in Jesus. As I said, we just don't have to say it. We can express it in a real way. You know, it would, you know, it would seem logical. It would seem logical to say to someone, it would seem logical to say to someone that by adhering to the commandments against adultery, well, you're trying to work your way to heaven. You know, or against stealing, why, you legalist, you're trying to work your way to heaven. Or covetousness or idolatry. I mean, we could logically, if you want to go that route, you could be accused, you know, a little more logically of legalism, of salvation by works. That is, if you could be accused of legalism by obeying the commandments. And I suppose that you could, if, you know, if you were keeping any of them as a means of trying to earn your salvation, it could be legalism. But please, you know, I like to think that as Adventists, we're beyond the point of thinking, you know, our obedience to the law earns our salvation. I'd like to think that we're, I mean, does anybody here really think, do you really think that you're keeping the law well enough to be saved by it? Does anybody here really, do you really think you're keeping the law or keeping the sap, you're keeping it well enough to be saved by it, to be able to stand before God in judgment and say, well, look how well I kept the commandments? And of course, I like to think we're beyond that. I mean, the point is the law is to point out sin, not to cure it. The law shows us the problem. It was, not, it was never meant to solve the problem. You know, the old analogy of the law is a mirror. You know, I just look in the mirror year after year, and it just gets, well, I don't know. Men don't really care. I don't really care that much, you know, but... It's not getting rid of the gray hairs. It's not getting rid of the wrinkles. It's not getting rid of anything. It wasn't meant to do that. It was to show the gray hairs and the wrinkles and so on. But it can't cure it any more than obedience to the law can solve the problem caused by sin. You know, Paul says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law that shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law points out sin. What shall we say then? As the law gives sin, God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. See, again and again, the law points out the problem. If we were going to be, again, so what my point is this, if we were going to be accused of being legalists, if we're going to be accused of being legalists, it should be because we keep the other commandments. But we are legalists because we rest. You know, we're trying to earn our salvation because we rest on the Sabbath day. I mean, the irony there is just is striking. The one commandment that tells us to rest, the one commandment that we, that we rest on, that's the commandment that we are accused of trying to to earn our way to heaven on. And I just find that's just beyond ridiculous. I mean, the irony of it all, by resting on, by resting on the Sabbath, we're trying to work our way to heaven. Kind of reminds me of the kid, the orphan who kills his parents, the kid who kills his parents and then pleads to the judge to have mercy on him because, because he's an orphan. You know? <laughs> 
Now, you know, you can be just as, you can be legalistic with the Sabbath, you know, as any of the commandments. And I, you know, I, don't, I hope we don't, you know, we don't keep the Sabbath because we think it's going to save us. If you, you know, if you think you're keeping any of the commandments to, to make you good enough to be saved, you're being a legalist, you know, whether any of the commandments that way. I mean, you know, I think somehow, as Adventists, we've lost control of the dialogue. And we found ourselves defending this weekly rest we have in Christ from the argument that it's somehow antithetical to rest in Christ. You know, it's somehow, we, you know, we, 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 we're somehow having to defend the fact that we don't have rest in Christ because we're, because we're resting on the Sabbath day, that we don't have our rest in Christ. Somehow the argument has gotten out of control. You know, we've lost control of the argument. You know, but uh, my argument is that far from being antithetical to grace, far from being antithetical to salvation by, by grace. Our resting in the Sabbath is a visible manifestation and expression of the rest and grace that we have in Christ. We just don't say we have that rest. We live out that rest. Ideally, you live it out every day, but it's especially in the Sabbath, a weekly reminder of a grace, of the rest that we have in Jesus. Because, you know, in the Bible, creation and redemption are inseparably twined, are inseparably intertwined. You read John. John, in the beginning, you know, he was the creator, and he's the redeemer, and it was only by virtue of him being the creator could he be the redeemer. And creation is so important the reminder of creation is so important. You think about this too. So important that God demands one-seventh. One-seventh of our lives. Every week without exception. To remind us. To remind us not only of him as our creator. But, you know, but, but mostly as our creator. Because as because he's creator, out of that creation, he's also our redeemer. What other commandment, what other commandment, you know, is, you know, or, or for what other doctrine, rather, is so crucial, so crucial. And this gets into this whole creation evolution thing. Creation is so important. Christ as creator is so important that he demands one-seventh of our lives without exception, without exception to remind us, to remind us of him as creator. And directly as a result of creator, he is also our redeemer. And so the point is we have once a week, we have this reminder. So I just think the, the irony here the irony here is the burden of proof then should be on those who claiming, claiming to have rest in Christ are missing out on the New Testament's most obvious, obvious expression of the rest in Christ. And that is the seventh day Sabbath. I mean, to be accused of working your way to heaven by resting, by resting on the Sabbath day. I mean, the irony is so strong. The irony there is so strong, and yet I just somehow, we just seem to have missed it. Missed it. I think we could turn the tables on the other way and say, no, you're missing out on, you just say you have the rest in Christ. You just say it, but the Sabbath is a visible manifestation of that rest. You know, those verses in Hebrews, there have been a lot of controversy over them. Therefore, there remaineth, there, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest has also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. I mean, I think it's a clear reference to resting in Christ as God rested on the Sabbath day. 
there does remain a rest to the people of God. A rest found in Jesus and what he has done for us, you know, by paying for our sin. A rest that is expressed in, among other things, the seventh day Sabbath. You know, which the commandment, the one commandment that's especially devoted, especially devoted to allowing us to enjoy in a unique way the rest that we have in Christ. So I think next time, you, because sooner or later you're going to hear that argument. As I said, they're more sophisticated today. Do you often hear, how often do you hear today from people, Jesus changed the Sabbath to Sunday? Do you hear that? You hear that? You hear that sometimes, but you don't hear that as much. How often do you hear the other argument that our rest is in Jesus? Our rest is in Jesus. Yeah, you could see more. You more. It's a lot more sophisticated. It's a lot more, I mean, and the Adventists, these ex-Adventists, you get on their websites. I get Dale Ratzlaff's magazine proclamation. I, you know, I get it every, every quarter when it comes out. And I've noticed over the years, when Desmond Ford broke away or whatever, 30 years ago, they had a publication. And interesting stuff, but after like the second, third year, it's the same thing over and over and over again. I get Dale Ratzlaff's publication. It's the same thing over and over and over again. They just repeat the same stuff, you know, and it's the, the same little mantra. You know, our rest is fulfilled in Christ, therefore we don't have to keep the seventh day Sabbath. And as I said, somehow we need to learn to turn this argument around to turn this argument around and say, no, we have the rest in Jesus. And we express that rest every week through keeping the Sabbath. We express the, the assurance of salvation that we have through his obedience to the law, and which is credit to us in place of our less than perfect obedience to the law. So we rest in what Christ has done for us. And again, not just a matter of saying it, but through the Sabbath, we express it in a unique way, a way that really goes back to the beginning. And anyway, that was just a few thoughts I had on, on the Sabbath. We've still got plenty of time here. Do you have any, any questions on this? But I just wanted just really to point out this idea of the irony, the irony of us being accused of working our way to heaven by resting on the Sabbath. Okay, yes, sir, go ahead. Yeah. Um, it just kind of stuck out to me. It's our way of expressing rest on the Sabbath. Are you sure that expressing our rest on the Sabbath, what we do on the Sabbath, expressing is the right word to use? Well, uh, what would be a better word? What's, I mean, what, what would be the problem with expressing? Manifesting. Yeah, it's like it's a, it's a behavior we do. Sets uh, things in stone, you know. It's, it's physical behavior that we do our, with our time. It's not necessarily an expression as uh, taking part in it. All right, that's better. Yeah, that's even, uh, yeah, I'd say that's even, to catch that, it's taking part of the rest. That's good. That's good. I like that. That's even a better way. Taking part in the rest. Yeah. Taking part in the rest, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's a that would be a clearer way of saying that. I, I like that. I like that. See, you learn. Okay, go ahead. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's all he said. Yeah, yeah. He said it, not me. I, I, I want. I, I, it's an argument, it's okay, but I, I don't think everything stands or falls on that. I don't think everything stands or falls on that. I mean, think it was just God's way of, uh, you know, because you, you, God's way of telling the Israelites, you know, in particular in that context, remember the Sabbath day. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't put too much into that. I mean, it's there, but I don't think it's that, 
you know, you're not going to really convince anyone on with that alone. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 Good point. Well, I think again the whole context itself, even without the Greek. You know, God rested from his work of creation, so that points us to the Sabbath. Okay, go ahead. Yes. Just like, just like uh, having a wedding or marriage is an expression of two hearts being united together. So I ask the Sabbath, which is the practice of life, is an outward expression of something that we're taking here inside. So both have to take place in order to put that Yeah. Good, good. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I'm in the Bible Belt. Yeah. Uh, but they usually add to that. But we worship on the day of his resurrection. Yeah. Well, I think it stems I think it stems from the common argument that it doesn't you know which is not that's not very logical to say what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Okay, what day does it matter? What day see I think they might argue the legalism comes in because we're picking the specific day, you know, and yet, well, that's the day the Bible says to pick. You know, you can argue logically and rationally for all the other commandments. You could argue logically and rationally from natural law, if you want to, for all the other commandments, but you've all heard it, there's no weekly there's nothing in the stars, the weekly cycle. You know, there's nothing special. You know, they, you know the, there's the moon once a month and the circle, you know, the sun around the earth and all that. But the Sabbath, the seventh day is almost arbitrary. And we keep it the seventh day only because God says to keep the seventh day. It's a specific command and that makes it stand out specifically. You know, the Sabbath has always been a test. The Sabbath has been a test with ancient Israel, even before Sinai, it was a test. And then here's the thing, too. Then we'll come, I'll get your hands. You know, as I study creation and this whole issue, it's never been clear to me how Sabbath and Sunday issue, it makes so much sense to me about why that will be the outward defining mark in the last days. Because again, Sabbath points you to God as creator. Every, every doctrine we believe, everything we believe, every teaching, not one of them makes a lick of sense apart from God as creator. Okay? Now you think about it, you know... Well, you know, the Bible doesn't start out with a statement about the nature of Christ. Doesn't start out with a statement about, you know, the atonement. Doesn't start out with a statement about obeying the law. It doesn't start out with a statement about anything. It starts out with a statement about God as creator. Because that's the foundation upon which everything else we believe, everything else we believe, Everything stems from God as creator. Why is there something instead of nothing as that philosopher? It's about as basic and as far back as you can get God as creator. To go back any farther is to go to God himself. Okay? God as creator. And then right there at the bottom line level, embedded at the foundation of the world, you're right at the root of God as the creator, is the seventh day Sabbath. Can you see the point here? Everything stems from God as, again, I can't reiterate this enough, 
What is atonement apart from God as the creator? I often say, well, apart from God as the creator, what is the cross but just another murdered Jew? What are we fallen from in a world that wasn't created by God? What are we restored to? Every doctrine, everything, everything rests on God as the creator, and the Sabbath is the symbol of God as the creator. You can't get any further back. And so in the last days, to see that being, can you see the point here? Then that being over Sabbath and Sunday, that being, it makes, so the, so the point is in the 30 years as an Adventist, the Sabbath Sunday as the last, as the issue in the last days makes more sense to me now than it ever did. And you know, really, you know who I could thank for that? Really, all people I could thank for that idea is Aristotle, of all people. Because Aristotle said, you can't understand anything until you understand its origins. You understand its causes. And, you know, and I really thought about that. And then I started, you know, typical fashion that's kind of screwed the church up for 2,000 years is melding Greek philosophy with Christianity. It's got messed us up, but I tend to do that, though I try to be careful with it. But that was a good point. And so everything rests on God as the creator. And the Sabbath as a sign, it's you're kicking out at the most fundamental level. That's why in the last day, Sabbath Sunday, that makes so much sense to me. Now, how's it all going to play out? How the whole world going to get the mark of the beast? That's a, whole other, that's a whole other issue. But the theology, the theology of the Sabbath, and, and, and Sunday being the issue in the last days, it's so clear to me now, I can't see it as anything else. Because nothing else is more fundamental. The cross, Jesus, all that, that's all doesn't make sense apart from God as creator. So that's getting right to the most fundamental level possible. Now how, you know, the whole world's going to get caught up in that, that's another issue. But as I told him the other day, when I first joined the church, I joined the church in 1980. I thought, how in the world was America ever going to enforce the mark of the beast upon the world? What, you know, was the Soviet Union going to disappear or something? You know, and then kaboom. So, I, so how it's all going to play out, I don't know, but it makes so much sense to me. Sabbath Sunday. Okay. All right, you were next. Go ahead. I think you were next. Okay. All right, so say that again, the Sabbath. It was never, it's not really foreshadowing anything because it's a reminder of something that already happened. Okay, well, so the Sabbath is not foreshadowing anything because it's a reminder of what already happened, not what is to come. Okay, well, well, but again, I think it's, it's a sign of God as creator and as creator and redeemer, and behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. You could argue it's a symbol of the recreation as well, because God's going to create a new heaven. In fact, you know, it's very interesting. Do you ever wonder why in the Bible the Jesus was, when Jesus did his healing on the Sabbath, the Pharisees gave him such a hard time? And the reason that they gave him a hard time is because the Jews believe that the Sabbath was a symbol of what they call in Hebrew the Olam Haba, the world to come. Okay? And they, because they believed in the world to come, there was going to be no sickness, no disease, no death. The Sabbath was a foretaste of the Olam Haba. And so... In Jewish tradition, you weren't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath that wouldn't be done in the Olom Haba. Because I don't see anywhere, you know, the thing too about the Bible, though, as Adventists, we struggle with this, as everybody struggles with this. Scripture tells you to keep the Sabbath, but it doesn't give you a whole lot of details about how to do it. Let's be honest with it. We just don't have a whole lot of details about how, how to do it. You know, Jesus came, and the kind of irony is Jesus came and had to loosen up. That's something to remember. Jesus came, and he had to loosen up the Sabbath keeping. You know, he had to kind of tell him back off a little on how you... It's just something interesting for 
us as Sabbath keepers to deal with. But, but the point is, it was seen as a symbol of, 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 of the, you know, the new heavens and the new earth of the world to come. So I don't think you could just lock it into just the past. So, okay, okay, go ahead. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. I think about that all the time. You know, the question of he said that they're defending creation and then they deny the Sabbath, and it's so sad. You know, it's really sad too. You go back and you study the um, creation movement in America. Who were the founders? There were Seventh Day Adventists. Seventh Day Adventists were the ones that really started the whole creation thing in, in, in Christianity. And as we've seen, we've sort of lost, or some have sort of lost. Yeah, but there is the irony. I mean, a while back, some, I wrote an article in the Review, and some people wanted to reprint it. Some non-Avenist group wanted to reprint it. It was an argument against evolution from a biblical standpoint. And I had one line in there. I had one line in there about the Sabbath you know, as a sign of creation, and they wanted, they wanted to rephrase that line, you know, as a symbol to something given to the Jews. And I thought about it for a little while, and I said, okay, let them do it. I said, let them do it. You know, I mean, at this point, they're not ready for it. I, I wanted to get the other points as well. But it is amazing. It is amazing. You can meet these evangelicals, Wonderful, loving Christians. So many ways. They're so. But you mention the Sabbath, if you've had that experience, and some of them can go ballistic. <laughs> they go ballistic, and, and and again, especially over the years, when I see it's foundational to everything because creation is foundational to everything we believe. You kick out creation, everything crumbles. And there's the sign of it, and they reject. Okay, you've, you've had your hand up for a while back there, patiently. What's the common? I speak loud. I don't hear great. Yeah. And you know Yeah, but that's that's you know, where's the biblical evidence? Where's the biblical evidence? And the point is you had apostasy in the church. You know, half the letters of the New Testament, or I say half, but a number of Paul's letters in the New Testament were dealing with apostasy in the church. Yeah, well, well, because maybe it, it hadn't, you know, become an issue then. But put it this way, and we, I think we know this very well. Look at the stink that Paul had to deal with over circumcision. Can you imagine if they were changing the Sabbath? If there were some issue about changing the Sabbath? I mean, the whole you know, New Testament in the context of the Jews. But see, they're arguing, they're arguing his history. They're arguing, you know, they're, 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 they're arguing from silence. I would say, look at the Scripture. Look at Jesus' example. Look at Jesus' command. I mean, the fact that there might have been some people keeping Sunday. You know, as I said, in, in the area where I live, I said this the other day, a pastor abandoned, left the church, started keeping Sabbath with his breakaway people, then started having a Saturday evening worship, and then had Sunday, and then eventually over time, as more and more non people from the non-Avenist background came in, eventually they completely abandoned the Saturday night worship and started going to Sunday. And I think that's a microcosm of how the whole change of the Sabbath came. There was originally both and then over time 
the change came. But I think that's more an argument from history and silence than from scripture. Okay, you next. You had your hand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that we happen to go to church on Sabbath, you know, and, you know, is, is almost, I mean, the commandment doesn't say go to church. It, you know, it says keep the Sabbath holy. It's almost, if, if you understand how they kept it back in the Old Testament times, you know, they didn't travel far. They didn't, you know, but yeah, the key is not really even which day you go to church. I mean, is it sinful to go to church on Sunday? Have any of you ever been invited by your friends to go to church on Sunday? I mean, would you go? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nothing. The problem is not going to church on Sunday. The problem is what you do on Saturday and what you don't do. That's where, that's where the issue is. Go ahead. Well, you know, that's a good point. And she, you know, and she also said, too, I think she'd said that, well, I, we'll put it this way. I used to think that the Sabbath, as long as we kept the Sabbath, we'd be protected from evolution. And yet the lure of the world and the power of the world is so strong. In fact, a number of years ago, I went to a debate, or I heard a debate on tape between an atheist and a theist at, what's, what was that church that everybody was flocking to for a while? And Willow Creek, yeah, Willow Creek, yeah, that was the Avenue's Mecca for a while, <laughs> Willow Creek. And uh, I, they had a debate between an atheist and a theist over the existence of God. Well, the theist was this guy named William Lane Craig, who's one of my heroes. I mean, he's brilliant. Brilliant. He's a reformed Christian, you know, and so on, but just, he is brilliant. I mean, guy's got two PhDs, and they put him up against some poor schnook who used to work with Madeline Murray O'Hare, if you know that, American Atheist Society. I mean, it would be like putting me in the boxing ring with George Foreman or something. <laughs> I mean, it, it was a joke. It was a joke. But at one point in the debate, the question of evolution came up, and I was so disappointed in William Lane Craig. Because at one point he said, well, the verdict is still out on evolution. We'll have to see. And I thought was fascinating was the atheist made a point, which I thought was so powerful. And I thought, you know, scratch, give the atheist a point here. Is he said, evolution is how Satan would create, not God. But what happened, I was so disappointed. And I thought, William Lane Craig. And then it hit me. How could this brilliant theologian, I mean, the guy just blows my mind at how deep he is and how smart he is. I said, how could he be caught up in there? How could he not be certain? And then it hit me. William Lane Craig doesn't keep the seventh day Sabbath. So he didn't have this anchor. He didn't have this anchor that ideally would have protected him. But that was 10 years ago. And it's obvious now. It's obvious now that the lure of the world and the power of the world is so strong that even the seventh-day Sabbath isn't strong enough for some, for some, you know, to protect them from, from evolution. I, I like to believe that the vast, vast majority of the Adventist church hasn't caught up in that nonsense. But the fact that even some are just shows you, as I said the other day, I think we've been here, we've been here too long. All right, we've got a few minutes left, okay. All right, there's, all right, all right, all right, go ahead, go ahead. Could you comment on what you to do to build your experience on that? I mean, you know, yeah. the how to. Well, that's a tough, you know, how do you, that's been the struggle. That has been, as I said, the struggle for Sabbath keepers from day one is how do you keep the Sabbath? How do you, and I, you know, if it's particularly when you're busy, 
when you're busy, you know, I think sometimes my kids, you know, on the summer vacation, you know, if they're not working that hard or ever, you know, they, they don't appreciate the Sabbath the way, you know, we do when you work a lot harder. I don't know. I just think the Sabbath experience, I mean, it has rich. It can really it's more, in, it's a mind frame. I don't think it's so much doing this, doing that. You know, I wasn't raised in the church. I was, you know, these Adventists tell you stories about how, well, you can go in the water only up to your knees on the Sabbath, you know. And, but if you ever read, you really freak out. You can get, if you ever get a chance, you get on, you know, they, they've got the Talmud, which is like Jewish commentary on the Bible, and they've got two tractates on keeping the Sabbath. And it's just unbelievable the rules and regulations about keeping the Sabbath. You know, if a deer walks into your house on the Sabbath, you know, can you, you know, you can only open the door a certain direction to let them out, and you can't pick up a rock on the Sabbath. But if the child holds a rock, and then you could pick the child up holding the rock, and on and on and on. And so, you know, and 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 we too, I've often wondered. I've often wondered, see again, all I can say is look at the model, the biblical model that you got with Jesus. Amen. And it's a little scary, particularly for if you're a conservative. If you're a conservative, heed, heed the warning with Jesus. Because I said, I had a friend at the GC who said to me once, he said, a lot of, you know, he pointed that out to me one time because I was always, you know, you know these self-appointed heresy hunters, you know, and, you know, and on and on. And then I, you look at the model of Jesus and he was trying to loosen some of the people up, okay, particularly on the Sabbath. It was like, you know, and so I, you know, now that's, Please don't take, I've, I've learned a while back, you've got to be so careful with what you say. You could take statements out of context. I once on, on, online had a whole thing about gay marriage. I, I was blogging something on, on somebody's blog. Yeah, all right, all right. Yeah, well, well, I don't worry about that right now. And I, the whole context... And I, the whole context, I was opposing it, and I just said something. I'm sure Jesus, I'm sure Jesus looks fondly upon gay, you know, monogamous sex or something like that. I mean, the whole context was so. And as I wrote this line, I said to myself, "Be careful! Someone's going to take this out of context." And I thought, "No way! Nobody would be that low in this whole context to do that." And I have been fighting that for six months now. In fact, some friends of mine at the GC printed it out and put it up on a wall <laughs> in one of their things, you know, to harass me on it, to harass me on it. They always point to that there in one of the rooms. You know, they, they also, they took a pic, guy came and took a picture of me, and the next thing I know, he's got a picture of me. I stuck my tongue out when he took the picture, and he's got studs in my tongue and earrings, and he's got that on the wall. I said, I don't care if you leave it on the wall on there, but don't put that on the internet. But, but anyway, the point on all that is, you just, the, the bottom line is, I, I think maybe, maybe the reason the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of details about how to keep the Sabbath is because the Lord wants us to work it out ourselves the, with, within the parameters of the principles that were given, the few principles that were given, because it's so easy. As I said, look at what happened with the Jews after the Babylonian captivity and their desire to protect the Sabbath. It got to the point where Jesus himself was accused of being a Sabbath breaker. And so that's, we, you know, so, so again, it's, it's a difficult question to know, but I think in the end it's your attitude towards what the Sabbath means, and I think it's reflective of your whole attitude towards God, and so on. Well, I think that's, that's it. Sorry, sorry. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for the truth of the Sabbath. I thank you for the rest, the rest that we can enjoy, the physical rest, and we can have a visible partaking 
of the rest that you offer us, each that is offered us, and we can do that through the Sabbath. Help us to stay firm. Help us to be balanced. Help us to learn through the Sabbath more and more about what it means to be saved in you and how you would have us to live. In Christ's name I pray, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.